we're kind of, as, as Mike mentioned, we're concluding our, our, our series on, um, on really, if God is our greatest value, then what? I, I don't know what the official title of the series, I'd have to look again. But if God is our greatest value, you know, and of course, if God is our greatest value, we will worship him as, as, as our greatest desire and joy. We talked about that the very first week. And, uh, and we worship together like we've done today, uh, singing songs, but we worship also through our obedience and our walk with him. He is our greatest desire and joy. If God is our greatest value, we will seek his priorities in prayer. And I know Jeremy did a great job of getting us into the, the Lord's Prayer, or what we call Lord's Prayer. It was really the model prayer of how we can approach God and how, how Jesus taught us to approach God. And isn't it something that the disciples were observing Observing Jesus in his prayer, and the one thing they wanted to know is, Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, uh, uh, John's disciple, John taught his disciples to pray, and we want you to teach us to pray. And he, and he did. He taught us to pray, and, and there's such great principles in there. And if he's our greatest value, we will seek his priorities in our prayer. And if God is our greatest value, we will pursue him in his word. We will not lay this on a shelf and not look at it until next weekend. We're going to really want to read this. And, um, and, and we're going to be a part of that. We're going to want to understand it and really obey it. If God is our greatest value, we will love and serve his church. Isn't that something that, as, as Mike brought to us, uh, I guess it was last week, you know, just the bride, the church. If, if we love Jesus, how can we not love his bride? And if we don't love his bride, if you don't love my bride, I can assure you, you don't love me. At least I don't think you do. You need to love my bride. We need to love God's bride, the Jesus bride, his church. But if God, today we're going to look at if God is our greatest value, we will participate in his mission to proclaim his gospel to a lost world. We will participate in his mission to proclaim the gospel in a lost world. I'm so glad that this particular passage fell to me, this particular subject fell to me because I am passionate about this. We all should be. Of course, if I'm passionate about it, we all should be. Now, while serving in Russia, a missionary friend of mine came to me in tears, weeping. And he was saying, in these tears and through these tears, we were just, all of us were just moving out into our assignments he was going to one city, I was going to another, and he was weeping and, ter- and, and actually maybe a little bit of fear. And he says, and he cried out, I am supposed to teach the Russians to make disciples? And I have never had anyone make me into a disciple. What am I supposed to do? Ask yourself the following questions. They should be on the screen. Am I a disciple? Who made me a disciple? Do I know how to make a disciple? 
last one, what would I tell this troubled missionary? Can you imagine? Years of education, seminary training, having made it through what is a year-plus-long process of getting there on the field. And feeling that you have never been made into a disciple of Jesus Christ. Now you think how terrible that could be, that that could happen. What, what went wrong? But look at our own lives. I want us to invite you to the, the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28. I, every time I go through this, by the way, I used to, I probably told this to you before, but I used to actually quote this passage when I was doing baptisms and and every time I would do it, I would get it wrong. Anybody have that kind of a mental block? Um, it, I would stand in the baptistry, and I would, I would look out over the congregation, and, and I, would, I would try to quote it from memory, and I'd get it wrong. And then I'd have to fumble around and look at my Bible or whatever. And uh, it got to be a big joke. Um, so I'm going to read it. <laughs> Verse 16, Matthew chapter 28. Now the eleven disciples went, in, went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Father, we thank you for your word, which speaks to us, which in and of itself, Lord, gives us all that we need to know how to live for you. Lord, this passage gives us all we need to be on mission with you. So speak to us, we pray today, as we talk about it. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. You know, because God has invited us to join him on mission, we are compelled, we're compelled to discover and engage in his purposes. So let's talk about God as our greatest value. Let's, let's, and ha, let's talk about how that is worked out according to this passage, commonly referred to as the Great Commission. I like to, I, I'm going to fly through a couple of things here. My, I, the tech team, I hope you can just keep up with me, all right? I'm just kind of like, because I gave them 23 slides. Can you believe that? 23 slides for a 10-minute message. They're just going to have to hurry. Well, we can stretch it out. Don't worry, I'm going to stretch it out a little longer than 10 minutes, so don't panic back there. Um, but... If we value Jesus' presence, we will, we will meet him where he is and worship him as he deserves. Well, I wish I could really flesh this out, but to do that, we'll, we'll be into the Super Bowl. Um, but the, the disciples have been with Jesus for close to three years. He poured his life into them. Think about that. This is the way Jesus did it. He poured his life into 12 men. 
primarily. And, and they learned Scripture. He revealed the meaning behind the verses. He incarnated the Word of God in Himself. He was there in front of them, living it out. Now they are meeting with Jesus in Galilee as promised. They, are, they, they, they see the resurrected Lord. And their response? Worship. And doubt. Doubt? Is that, is that right? That worship? That makes sense. But why the doubt? The word here, by the way, just so you understand, the word is different than unbelief. Okay? They're not disbelieving that Jesus is God. They're not disbelieving that Jesus is the Messiah. What their, their doubt here, the word means is more like a wavering of faith. It is uncertainty. It, it's uh, this, this, and this is understandable. Keep in mind, this is not what they have expected for three years. You know, they're not expecting Jesus to have died on a cross. They weren't expecting to bury him. They weren't expecting to roll a stone over, never to be, return, never to be open. They weren't expecting the guard to be set. They were not expecting the stone to be rolled away. They were not expecting for angels to arrive and announce that he's risen. They were not expecting to meet him in various times along the way for 40 days. And they were not really expecting anything to happen on this mountain that would then shake them once again, and they're looking at their Lord and Savior, and they're saying, what's this all about? What's going to happen? Are we going to have to be now sign up for the military and take over? What's going to take place at this point in time? And Jesus is standing there before him, and he's walking, and he sees their doubt, and he moves toward them. And I love this about God and the way he operates. He sees our doubts, and he moves Toward us. He walked up. What is he doing? He's getting close to them and he's saying, No, this is real. This is real, and what I'm about to tell you is vitally important. So he comes in close and he begins to allay their doubts just by his presence. If you're in the presence of Almighty God, you will know and your doubts will begin to take pull away. Jesus didn't chide him for their doubts. But he comes in sensitivity. Now, he has already made them into discipleship. Disciples, I'm sorry. He's already made them into disciples. Remember? I've chosen you, 12 particularly. But there are many more there who are his disciples, his followers. But disciples, we, we know that he's made them. But disciples are learners. Currently, they have not arrived, nor have you. Don't think that you are complete in your discipleship. Disciples, by definition, are in process. Now, if we value Jesus' power, we will make disciples who are completely born in Him. Now, that may sound, make, make, make no sense to you, but we have, to, we have that beginning point. When Jesus stated, by the way, He said, that all authority has been given to him, all authority has been given to him, he made it clear that, he, that as the resurrected Lord, he had no limitations. No limitations. Now, when Jesus came the first time on this earth, he emptied himself, remember? He emptied himself of all his glory and came like you and me, a man born in a stable. Born to, a, to, to this world in an earthly way, and he limited himself. He chose to limit himself. 
But now, as the resurrected Lord, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, because I have that authority, he has, he's shown to be all-powerful. He is the one that Mike read about a moment earlier, that he is the one that Daniel describes as given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. Matthew 28 is not the first time that comes up, is it? Daniel said, this is what's going to happen. Daniel said, all peoples, nations, and languages. Folks, it shouldn't have been a surprise that Jesus was interested in people beyond the Jews. All peoples and nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. That means forever in case you don't get it, which shall not pass away in case you didn't get it. It's going to go. It, in his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. He is now unequivocally in charge. Jesus' supreme Absolute authority heightens his value to us. Never, his value is always heightened, but to us. Obedience to the command, <laughs> the only command in this passage to make disciples is assumed. We always like, well, you've got to go make disciples. Oh, that's a command. I've got to do that. No, it's assumed. You're going to obey that. If you're a disciple, you're going to make disciples. If you're a disciple, you're going to make disciples. You, the follower of Jesus Christ, are responsible for making disciples. Jesus does not say the disciple, by the way, get this, listen carefully to what I'm about to say. Jesus does not say the disciple has to make himself or that he even has to take the initiative, the command. Jesus also does not command the making of a convert or a member of a church. Or, or, or a church attender. He says, make disciples. The command, make disciples. Wow. So if you're a disciple maker, what does that look like? Begin with the gospel. You begin with the gospel. To begin is to, is to get the message of Jesus' provision for forgiveness and eternal life to people without hope. Who, people who are, are confused, people who are uh, lost in their own sinfulness, people searching for value in their lives. These people all around you are the people that he's sending you to. And you have found this value they seek. You have found this value they seek in God. Your greatest value. You have been here for five weeks now. This is your fifth week of hearing that your greatest value is assumed to be God, right? If God is your greatest value, well, we get that. I'm believing that you're here because at least you want, if you haven't made it yet, you want your greatest value to be God. Otherwise, you would be doing something else like sleeping in. Really useful. Therefore, we start with you. Why do I say that? We're talking about what you've got to do. You're to make disciples. You are commanded. What kind of disciple are you? Kevin DeYoung said, 
the one indispensable requirement for producing godly, mature Christians is godly, mature Christians. Now, that may seem like kind of a circular argument, but that's true. So, so the starting point is to, be coming, to become a mature Christian. I'm going to become a mature Christian. That's my goal, right? Notice that I said, I'm sorry, I didn't say it right. The starting point is to become a maturing Christian. Right? I, I, not, I intentionally did that, even though I goofed up when I read it the first time. Um, a maturing Christian, the reason I say maturing is because anybody who claims to be a mature Christian is not. <laughs> as simple as that. If you think you're mature in your Christianity, I've got news for you. You missed it. All right? Just, I'm just saying. Maturity is measured in actions and in relationships. I think Bill Hull said this. He said a well-known... He's, by the way, Bill Hull is a well-known authority on discipleship. I don't, you know, I don't know about his theology or anything like that. I'm not really going there. But he really has some good stuff on discipleship. And, uh, but he, he stated, reorienting, reorienting your life to loving, knowing, and serving others is both the heart of true discipleship and the end point of discipleship. Did you catch that? Reorienting, reorienting, I can't even read the word, reorienting your life to loving, knowing, and serving others is both the heart of true discipleship and the end point of discipleship. Now, that's kind of interesting when you think about it, but what does he say? Go make disciples of all peoples, all ethnics, ethnicities. Scott McKnight said this. He said, those who aren't, followers, aren't following Jesus aren't his followers. That's, it's that simple. Followers follow. And those who don't follow aren't followers. Now, you say, Tim, you are, why are you quoting such a silly quote? Because it's true. Because we fail in this regard so often that we think something different. We say, I'm following Jesus while I'm going over this way. Right? We choose things that do not exemplify the follower of Christ, and we say we're followers of Him. Followers of Christ Jesus are only those who follow Him. After quoting and preaching this passage for decades, by the way, I learned something new this week. You know, you, know, you would think an old guy like me would not have this, this aha moment, especially in a passage like this, which is one of my favorites. Of course, every time I preach, I say this is one of my favorites. <laughs> But this one really is. You know, I learned something new this week. And, and this is evidence that this word is a living word to me. When God shows me something fresh out of a passage I've read a jillion times, approximately. That's preacher speaking, okay? I don't know even what a jillion is. About the go. Go, in verse 18. It says, I've I pointed out that the only command here is to make disciples, right? Have you guys realized that? The only command in this whole passage is make disciples. Everything else is, okay, participle. Well, it doesn't matter. Anyway, um, the, everything else is like, this is, this is actually defining the making disciples. But missionary leaders like to say like to call out missionaries by using go as a command 
When God called me into the mission field, I always heard, go, make disciples, go to the nations, go. And so I was like, man, that's me, I'm going. And so I signed up and went to Russia eventually. However, the mission leaders say that, um, it really is literally translated, as you are going, make disciples, right? Right? So we say, okay, as you're going, make disciples. And that makes us feel better, most of us, who are not going to the nations. And this is true. In our daily life, we are supposed to be all about making disciples. Everybody you run into is your project. (laughs) That's a funny thought. <clears throat> don't tell them that, okay? Not a good thing to say, hey, guy, by the way, you're my project. Um, especially if they're lost. They really freak out about such things. Um, but what I learned, this is what I learned this week, that frequently in Scripture, you, the as you are going, in tandem with a command, an imperative for you English buffs or Greek buffs if you want. Um, When those two are together, the go often, if not always, includes an imperative by inference or by expectation. So context speaks to us. And what does the context say? I think In context, we see go and make disciples. By the way, as you're going, and go, by the way, and as you're going, go. In this context, we see the need for a command to go when we see what? To all the nations, literally the ethnic groupings as a target. If I'm going to be reaching the nations, now praise God for what he does in the United States and bringing the nations to us, but I'm sorry, they're not all here in Syracuse. There's only 60 some odd nations in Syracuse. There are some 500 plus nations in New York City, but there are literally Thousands of people groups, ethnicities around the world. So in order to fulfill the command, we have to go, yes, go, command to all the nations of the world. So our mission is to those we run into every day. And at Renovation, we talk about engaging our own circle of accountability. And we're doing that now, by the way. If you're going to your missional community, you should be learning this stuff. Again, if you've done it before, and not again if you haven't, is that you have a circle of accountability. I know people here who've, who've taken that very, very seriously. And they're going to their family, to their friends. They, they pray for them. They're faithful to that. But I, that is our a circle of accountability. But our mission also includes the peoples of the world. And we cannot ignore all the ethnic and language groups and and still be obedient to the one in all authority. We cannot ignore those people. Now, sometimes we've gotten to be that way. The church in the United States is is frighteningly uh, uh, quiet about that, that reality. 
In fact, we're right now running kind of scared, aren't we? We're afraid of the nations. We don't want them coming anymore. People are trying to build walls on the southern border. People are trying to, to build a, a, a high bar just to get into the country anymore. Now, I'm not political here, okay? I'm not talking politics. I'm talking about Jesus' followers. What are we doing? You know, my greatest fear is that we got the nations coming here and we're not touching them as followers of Christ. That's my greatest fear. I've seen, you know, the people that I work with among the Bosnian people, it just frightens me to death that they've been in this country 14, 15, 20 years and they've never heard the gospel. Why? What are we doing? It's not a guilt trip, okay? Sorry. Just thinking. But baptism is that first step of obedience that we want to help them through. So as we, as we begin to make disciples, the first thing he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Scriptural baptism occurred right away as soon as the new disciple or follower turned away from his or her sins and began the journey of learning. Baptism is, the name, uh, is in, into the name. That is the character and authority of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We, we identify fully with God in baptism. That's important. Bill, Bill Hall wrote, again, I'm just quoting him because he happened to be handy. We cannot divorce discipleship from mission, as so often happens. If they are two, as if they're two different things. Folks, if you're going to be a disciple, you're going to be on mission with God with Jesus, with his purposes. And if you're not on mission with him, you're not, in my opinion, and I'm right, a disciple. Just ask my wife. You laugh. <laughs> Am I right? She says I'm right. See? And yes, I worship the ground she walks on, so that's okay. Um, if we value Jesus' words, we will make disciples who obey his teachings. And it's not just about making disciples. It's about making disciples that are really disciples, obedient. In addition to baptizing, that happens, that happens immediately and only once. The second part, part of making disciples is teaching. It's teaching. Um, we, we are to teach new followers to obey all that Jesus commanded. We take the Gospels and make sure the new disciple understands the meaning and then implements the teachings into their daily life. Oh, wait a minute. Teaching isn't just that you get some knowledge, some truths, some facts into your system. Teaching isn't just that you memorize Scripture. Teaching isn't, it, well, well, let's talk about it. An electrician, think about an electrician or a plumber. Any of you electricians or plumbers here? Okay, none. Um, that's too bad. I was hoping to find an electrician. I need one really bad. Um, but uh, uh, now you think I'm joking. I'm serious. I do. And, uh, but um, shorts and... Lights that won't work, all these kind of things. An electrician goes through a process to become a licensed electrician. A plumber goes through a process to become a licensed plumber. The process is they go to a classroom and they learn, right? And they learn how to be an electrician. They study it, they look at charts, they do wiring diagrams and all of that. How many of you are going to call an electrician that, that they finished their class? Okay, a couple of, couple of you will do that. I'm not. Okay, I need them to have some experience. I want to know that they know 
which wire is hot and which one is not. Okay? Now, I had my friend in Russia, the way he did that, he went, <laughs> you know, and there everything's 220, so it really was a, a quite, the, quite the interesting experience. Uh, I thought, I'm not learning from him. Um, but, uh, but I want somebody who knows what they're doing, don't you? Well, let's say, okay, you, okay you're really, some of you are really brave, but, but see, they go through that class, and they also go through an apprenticeship. And they apprentice them. They go alongside somebody who knows what they're doing. At least they're supposed to. And, uh, and they, they learn from him. Is he a, he's not yet a full electrician, but you know, now he can wire some stuff. And then he goes a little bit further, and he, he passes tests and gets, goes through a lot of stuff, and whatever he does, I have no idea because it's beyond me. And then he gets to be a licensed electrician. I'm calling that guy, okay? Because he, he's been proven. A disciple is a learner, but his learning does not stop with getting the book right. His, his, he, if you can memorize the Sermon on the, route, on the Mount all you want, and as long as you get the Sermon on the Mount right, you still are not a disciple. You can memorize the New Testament or one of the books of the Bible, and you still aren't there. You can be one of the greatest students of the theologians of the day and know all the true the, theological facts, and you can still not be a disciple. You know why I know that? Because the Pharisees were that. They were there. See, Jesus wasn't near as concerned that people get their doctrine right as he was that they get their lives right. Now, truth is necessary. <laughs> I don't want to obey something that's not true. But if you don't, get, so if you don't have the right commands, you're not going to obey his commands. By the same token, if I memorize... Well, anyway, I already said that. Uh, um, by the way, if I do all of those things. I remember the truths of memorize the Bible, get the theologians correct and memorize all of them and get that, I'm able to expound that to you. I'm not ready for heaven. I'm just more eloquently prepared for hell. Which, obviously I can't do anyway. James said it this way. He said, but some will say you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. The reality is, is that Jesus, the 12, Paul, and any other true disciple makers live in obedience in front of disciples. They live in obedience in front of disciples. The reality, their model reveals their Lord. What you live out, the way you make disciples is, yes, you teach them the truths, but you're living it out in front of them. Jesus did just that. He taught them the truth. He taught them on the, sermon, the, the, on the Sermon on the Mount, and then He lived the Sermon on the Mount in front of them. How did they know how to follow Him? They, they listened to the sermon, and then they saw Him practice it, and then they followed the model. This is how you make disciples. I know, I make it sound so simple. Jesus, Jesus does, does not teach like those without authority. You see, our confidence in making disciples is His authority. The twelve learned under Him. They knew what it meant to be His disciple. They spent years walking with Him, following His movements, imitating Him. On this mountain, they did not have to ask Him. This amazes me. 
they did not have to ask him, what do you mean? Don't you wonder about that when you read that? Because we're constantly saying, what does he mean when he says, go into all, in the, all the world and what, make disciples of all the nations, right? They never asked one, they didn't say, what do you mean, Lord? They knew because they had been in it for three years. They knew what it was all about. Our authority comes from Christ. Our power comes from his presence. Oswald Chambers, addressing what he saw as a drift from the Lord's conception of discipleship, said, it is instilled in us to think that we have to do exceptional things for God. We have not. I love the way Oswald Chambers talks. We have to be exceptional in ordinary things. To be holy in mean streets. That means simple streets. Among mean people. That's simple people. Surrounded by sordid sinners. That, that is not learned, by the way, in five minutes. In beginning his ministry, Jesus said this. Come and see. Remember that? Come and see. Where do you live? You remember that? John, in the book of John, first, first chapter, I think it was, second chapter. Come and see. So where do you live? Come and see. Later, Jesus would say, come and follow me. Further, Jesus then said, come and be with me. Finally, he would say, remain in me. This is the call to be and make disciples. This is our calling. I'm going to take a little bit of pastoral license just for a moment. I want to share a story with you that happened to me a couple of weeks ago. Someone I met in college, and yes, I can still remember those days, wrote me and invited me to become a... Um, what do you call it? Uh, uh, yeah, it's on LinkedIn. Uh, is, it, is it a friend on LinkedIn? It's, it's a friend on Facebook. But anyway, a network, part of his network. Okay. He invited me to become a part of his network on LinkedIn. And, um, and because he was an Aggie from Texas A&M, I accepted. I, you know, and he was from, actually, the year that my wife graduated from Texas A&M. So I thought, well, maybe they're friends because I didn't recognize the name. Asked her later, do you know who this person is? No. Never heard of him. He lives in Arizona. He says, hey, Tim. He wrote me back after I accepted his link. And I'm like, okay, now I'm going to find out what this is all about. He says, hey, Tim, thanks for accepting my LinkedIn request. By the way, I will edit this. Okay. You probably don't remember me. That was true. But when I was a first semester freshman, you were a sophomore. And you dropped handles with me on the quad. I, if you, any military guys, that means that we stopped going, sir. I had to be sir to him. And so he, he could call me by my first name. So what you should know is that I had, b before we met that day, so w b what you should know is that I had prayed a prayer while in my bunk one night, and I was lamenting the way that my life was going further from God. I literally said to God in that prayer, Help! The next day, edited, 
I introduced myself to you while you were walking, or since you were walking, toward me with another sophomore that I knew by name. And at the end of our little introduction, you said, I, and I found it. Anybody remember the I found it campaign? No, no. Most of you were not born then, but um, okay. It was a campus crusade thing nationwide. It just missed New York, apparently. You then asked me if I knew what that meant, and I can't remember my answer, and I don't remember his answer either. You asked what dorm I was in, which was number four. They were numbered because we were in the Corps of Cadets. And came up to my room and pulled a pocket New Testament out of your uniform shirt pocket and shared Scripture with me. I wasn't ready to actually repent and let Jesus be Lord of my life at the time, but God used you to water the seed that day. I got saved in February of my sophomore year. That little story has been told by me as a part of my testimony for about 38 years now. Thanks for being faithful to obey God that day as he clearly got my attention through you that he had heard my prayer the night before. Your brother in Christ, Randy. I honestly remember that meeting on the quad and assuming that it was for naught. Folks, when you're obedient to God and you take this message to the nations, it's God who's going to bring the answer. But we need to be obedient. Who knows 38 years from now whose life you're going to touch just because you were obedient today. Father, Pray that we would be obedient, that we would love you, value you so much that we join you on your mission. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.